reading now, first of all, from the Old Testament, from uh, the book of Genesis. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. Psalm 19. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of His hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they reveal knowledge. They have no speech. They use no words. No sound is heard from them. Yet their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. In the heavens, God has pitched a tent for the sun. It's like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber, like a champion rejoicing to run his course. It rises at one end of the heavens and makes its circuit to the other. Nothing is deprived of its warmth. Then these words from the New Testament, from Paul's letter to the Romans, the first chapter. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness, since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse." This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. You know, there isn't a Sunday that doesn't go by without uh, my consciously thanking God for our musicians, uh, for Jan and for uh, Beth and for uh, Rob and then our our faithful choir. Uh, We should never take these people for granted. I hope you don't. (laughs) But I thank God for them. So thank you. Thank you. I was watching uh, uh, Corey preach uh, last Sunday, and uh, I noticed that Corey turned around a lot more than I do, so, and, and Tom does a better job of that too, so I just want you to know that I do respect you, and uh, um, I'm just not as mobile up here, I guess, so uh, I'm not, you know, forgetting you or anything like that, but I know you know me by the back of my head, and you can still hear me though, right? Okay, so, so occasionally I'll try and... Sneak a peek back there. See how you're doing. See if you're... What's that? Sometimes your back tells a lot. My back... My back tells a lot? (laughs) You can see all my squirming up here and everything, you know. Well, there is... uh, Nothing more important in life than getting to know God. I'm sure you'll agree with me. Maybe that's one reason why you're here. You'd like to get to know God better. But as I was saying, uh, the last time I was uh, giving messages along this uh, particular theme, is that it's very important to come to know God as God really is, not as we imagine God to be. For we have an all-too-human tendency to create God in our own image, 
fashioning and worshiping a God who thinks like us and who acts like us and who sanctions our every desire. So we end up with a God of my cause or uh, the God of my ideas or the God of my feelings. And uh, this God is so very convenient and, and so accommodating. This God never contradicts us or, or challenges us. We effectively exchange the real God for a made-up one. And whenever we create God in our own image, then we are really worshiping ourselves. It's the old sin of idolatry. It's the golden calf all over again. The God of our invention cannot save us, as the prophets were very uh, clear to make known to all of us. These gods are totally inadequate. The real God, the one true God, the God who can save us, wants to be known and has made himself known. God has communicated everything we need to enjoy a right relationship with him. God has chosen to reveal himself to us. Just as you could not know the real me, Mark Smith, without my having revealed something of myself to you in terms of through my spoken words or through my actions, so you could not hope to know the real God unless God had chosen to reveal something of his character and his will to you. God has, in fact, spoken and has acted in ways that you and I can understand and grasp. The ancient Christians used to, uh, used to describe God's revelation in terms of two books, the book of nature, creation, which was also called general revelation, and the book of holy scripture, called special revelation. We come to know the real God by reading both books. This morning, we are opening the book of creation. What does creation teach us about the one true God? Listen again to the psalmist. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they reveal knowledge. They have no speech. They use no words. No sound is heard from them. Yet their voice goes out into all the earth. Their words to the ends of the world. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Creation itself is constantly speaking to us, singing to us about God. The very uh, rising and the setting of the sun is a testimony to God's creative power and God's sustaining providence. The order and beauty of creation reveals a God of indescribable glory, and it ought to be apparent to every human being. For as the Apostle Paul put it, for since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. In other words, the reality of God ought to be plain to everybody who has eyes to see. All one has to do is gaze up into the heavens 
And yet sin and human rebellion have darkened the heart and muddied the mind and has blinded many to the awesome ultimate reality. God, or rather creation, presupposes a designer, a designer God, a creator, a first cause who sets everything in motion. One day an unbeliever skeptic uh, came to argue with a, a, a teacher, religious teacher about God. And the skeptic said, you believe many things that can't be proved. For example, who created the world? And the teacher answered, God? Can you prove it? Said the man. Certainly. But first, let me ask you a question. What are you wearing? What a foolish question, said the skeptic. It's a suit. The teacher asked, well, who made it? I'm foolish. You are more foolish than I thought. If you don't know that a tailor makes a suit. And you, my friend, said the teacher, are equally foolish if you do not see the hand of God in creation. For just as the house attests to the hand of the builder and the garment to the tailor, so the earth and the order of creation testifies to a higher being. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim God's handiwork. It just seems so obvious to me. Who needs proof? It's there all around us. There must be some great mind, some master artist behind the beautiful universe. How could it be otherwise? To me, it's hard to believe that there isn't a God who has set everything in motion, who has created all things. That's very hard to believe. It's easier to believe that a scene such as this, the screens, is a product of someone who appreciates beauty. So, did all this happen by chance? I have always been a fan of the comic strip BC. The strip was the work of the late uh, Johnny Hart, who uh, was a, a devout Christian. In fact, he would often introduce Christian themes and messages into his cartoons to the horror, to the absolute horror of unbelievers and secularists who thought that this Christian expression had no business appearing uh, on the funny pages of public newspapers. But in one strip, the caveman philosopher, you all know BC, right? The caveman philosopher strikes a thoughtful mood, contemplating the miracle of life. A seed is such a miraculous thing. It can sit on a shelf forever, but how it knows what to do when it's stuck in the ground is what makes it so clever. It draws nutrients from the soil through its roots and draws its force from the sun. It puts forth a whole lot of blossoms and fruit, then recedes itself when it is done. Who programmed the seed to know just what to do? Who put the sun in the sky? And who put the food in the dirt for the roots? And who told the bees to come by? And who makes the water fall from above to refresh and make everything pure? Perhaps all of this is a product of love. And perhaps it happened by chance. 
Yeah, sure. If a seed is such an amazing thing to contemplate, now think about the human body. The capacities of the human brain are beyond comprehension. And scientists who study the brain really suspect that there's a who. There's got to be a who behind the brain. The brain is of a whole different order than a computer. It's like a billion computers or microchips. I mean, it's a magnificent piece of engineering. Actually, the National Geographic featured an article recently on, on the human brain and how amazing it is. Here's what a dermatologist wrote about our skin. In one square inch of skin, you will find 20 blood vessels, 65 hairs and muscles, 78 nerves, 78 sensors for heat, 13 for cold, 165 for pressure, 100 sebaceous glands, 650 sweat glands, 1,300 nerve endings, and 19,500,000 cells. I don't know who bothered to count all those things, but uh, some biologist. So we might as well ask what mind conceived of skin? In the biblical story of creation, human beings are created on the sixth day, the climax of creation. There is no greater handiwork than the creation of a new human being. In fact, the famous artist Vincent van Gogh once said, if, if one feels the need of something grand, something infinite, something that makes one feel aware of God, one need not go far to find it. I think I see something deeper, more infinite, more eternal than the ocean in the expression of the eyes of a little baby when it wakes in the morning and coos or laughs because it sees the sun shining on its cradle. Not sure if there's a creator God? You know, just watch a baby being born and then gaze into its face. Then you know. There's no greater handiwork to be found in all the universe. A product of love, not of chance. And then, of course, there's the immensity of the universe. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of His hands. The light that we see from the nearest star left that star about four and a half years ago. Light travels pretty fast, you know, 186,000 miles a second. I mean, that's a long ways away. Our galaxy, the Milky Way, contains 100 billion suns, and our universe contains more than 100 billion galaxies. Contemplate that. It's like contemplating infinity, isn't it? When Albert Einstein studied the wonders of the universe, he knew there must be a God. He said, I'm not an atheist. The problem involved is too vast for our limited minds. We're in the position of a little child entering a huge library filled with books in many languages. The child knows that something or knows that someone must have written those books. It doesn't know how. It doesn't understand the languages in which they are written. The book of creation has an author, and the book reveals a God who is greater than we can imagine, a God of great glory and power. Many of the greatest scientists in history were inspired by their faith in a creator God. 
I was reading about the German scientist Johannes Kepler, who lived in the latter half of the 16th century after the Reformation. He was among the, among the first scientists who affirmed Copernicus's theory that the Earth rotated around the sun, and he was an important forerunner of Isaac Newton in terms of systematizing science. A devout Lutheran, Kepler was studying theology and had planned to become a pastor when he was called to teach mathematics. But Kepler realized that he could glorify God through his mathematical and astronomical studies, and his scientific notes are filled, are mixed, are interspersed with prayers and praise to the Lord. The more he studied the universe, the more he fell in love with God. Kepler believed that there was an art and an orderliness in God's creation and that the more Christians recognized the greatness of creation, the deeper their worship would be. Now, Kepler has made some important contributions to our understanding of the universe. He published what are known as Kepler's Laws. And with these laws, it was shown that, uh, you know, well, the law says that, that the planets uh, take an elliptical orbit rather than a, a perfectly circular one, as was thought at the time. But throughout his scientific work, Kepler never sought his own glory, but always sought to bring glory to God. And at the very end of his life, Kepler composed this simple prayer. I thank you, my creator, that you have given me joys in your creation and ecstasy over the work of your hands. I have known the glory of your works as far as my finite spirit was able to comprehend your infinity. If I have said anything wholly unworthy of you or have aspired after my own glory, graciously forgive me. One Christian writer says, nature doesn't whisper, it shouts. This is God's handiwork. God is the great creator, the great designer of all things. You know, um, clear skies uh, at night are not very frequent here <laughs> in this part of the world. You know, there could be an eclipse going on, total eclipse, and we would not know. But I remember on one very clear, unusually clear, crisp fall night, I think it was late October, my mom called me and she said, Mark, you got to go outside and look at the moon. I mean, you got to go outside and look. And I went out and I have never seen the moon so gorgeous. It was a full moon. It was luminous. It was, you know, silver. I mean, really silver. And it loomed so large in the sky, I really felt like I could reach out and touch it. And all I could say was, thank you, God. I can't believe that I'm alive to enjoy this awesome sight. As I gazed in the sky, no words were spoken and no voice was heard. And yet to me, 
that was a sermon as clear and as loud as have any proclaimed. The book of creation reveals not only a creator whose glory fills the skies, but it reveals a God who is good and who loves us. It must be so because God has given you and me the capacity to revel, to experience ecstasy in God's work of creation. What a painter. We enjoy God's artwork every moment. I mean, our God is an artist who, in the words of Matthew Fox, says, God painted the painted desert, the shades of the sea, which change with each day, the pastels of the sunset, the black of a stormy night, the silver of a clearly seen Milky Way, the red of blood, the green of the earth, the yellow of grain in ripe fields, the blue of a French impressionistic sky. And so it's amazing to me that God loves us so much that God has given us the capacity to enjoy such beauty. Fox goes on, the creator God has spread out for our delight, a banquet, a banquet of rivers and lakes, of rain and sunshine, of rich earth and of amazing flowers, of handsome trees and of dancing fishes, of contemplative animals and of whistling winds, of dry and wet seasons, of cold and hot climates, and so are we, blessing, blessings ourselves, invited to the banquet. It's there for us to enjoy. Our eyes continually feast on beauty. God planned it that way for our own enjoyment. Someone has said there's not a blade of grass, there's no color in this world that is not intended to make us rejoice. Thank you, God. So let's be astute students of the book of creation of nature. Let's contemplate and appreciate the beauty of nature, which is pretty easy to do in this part of the world, even when the, sun, when the rain comes. We need to get out there in creation and enjoy. And then we need to allow the creation lead us, lead you and me, to the praise of the Creator, who is both powerful and good. Creation is singing God's praises, and we need to join in. Belinda and I used to live off of, uh, well, what street was it? Yeah. 80, well, 84th Street, I guess. Uh, and uh, and uh, we had a house, and it was near a, a large swamp area, forest area, which has since been cleared out. But every night, we used to listen to the frogs croak. And I tell you, it was a chorus. It was a symphony of frogs. And I, we, I've missed that. Belinda and I have missed that. You know, the development came in. Oh, that's the end of nature. But I always thought, you know, man, those frogs are singing God's praises. All creation sings. That's one of the great sounds of nature, the, 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 the sounds of frogs croaking in unison. There's one other great sound in nature, which we have enjoyed, and that is the sound of rain hitting the skylight or a window, the pitter-patter. 
I mean, that to me is a beautiful sound, the replenishing of the earth, you know? You sit there in bed and listen to the rain. I mean, that is just one of the coolest things. The rain sings God's praises. So we need to join in. Creation ought to lead us to the praise of our Creator God, who thought enough of you and me to give us the capacity to enjoy it. Pretty cool, huh? Pretty cool, huh? Indeed. Can't say I didn't turn around. But I have to say one more thing in closing. God's revelation in creation is not enough. Tells a lot, but it's not enough. It's not enough just to read the book of nature, the book of creation, and assume that we have everything we need to know about God that that needs to be known. The revelation only goes so far. If all we had to go on uh, in terms of our knowledge of God was what we can discern from nature, we actually wouldn't know that much. We wouldn't know much about God's purposes for us. We wouldn't know anything about how we should live other than what God has planted already uh, naturally in our hearts, in nature. Uh, I think it's fair to say that, uh, that there, we, we need to understand that though there is much beauty in nature, also nature can be quite cruel. The land of predators, earthquakes, hurricanes. We can posit a God who is good, and yet there are many questions, aren't there? We need more revelation. We need to understand this world better. Creation is not enough. We would not know how God has taken care of our sin problem if all we had was nature. The knowledge of God and creation does not save you and me. Nor, of course, should creation ever be worshipped in itself. We would know precious little about God's character and will if all we had was creation. And God would remain rather remote and forbidding. So we have to read two books to fully know God. Not only the book of creation, but the book of Holy Scripture. And it's to that book that we will turn next time. Let's pray. Gracious God, you are an awesome God. Your glory fills the skies. We see your handiwork everywhere. We see your great handiwork and the people right around us. And so, Lord, we thank you. We thank you that you thought enough of us, that you loved us enough to give us the capacity to enjoy your incredible artistry. So, Lord, sensitize us to all of the delights around us day by day, moment by moment, to delight in your creative work, in your handiwork, that we might lead, be led into deeper appreciation, and deeper worship of you. Through Christ we pray these things. Amen.